Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton. You know what's really important to me when I do business with a company is trust and transparency. I've been telling you now for a good while about my buddy Damon Burton and his company, SEO National, because trust and transparency are just as important to them. You know, for the last 15 years in the search engine optimization space, they have been leading the way and serving people tremendously well. Now, for those of you that don't know what SEO is, it stands for search engine optimization. It helps you show up higher on Google searches so that folks that are looking for what you have find you quicker. And you know what's really encouraging? More revenue, more sales, growing your business. Do me a favor, get in touch with Damon and his team today at SEO National at 855-736-6285 or go to seonational.com and get your free quote and tell him you heard it on the Intentional Encourager podcast. I hope you're ready because here comes a dynamite conversation on the Intentional Encourager podcast. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. I have got a guy that that is multi-layered, and I love talking to multi-layered people because we, we're going to take this conversation in a bunch of different ways. He's got a new book out called The Locker Room Book, and it's coming out very soon. He's an official character development, does curriculum like that for Texas high school uh, coaches in the state of Texas, connects the dots between sports and life, and also is going to share some encouragement with you. Maybe you're a parent that's listening to this. You're like, how do I encourage my athlete son or daughter? We're going to talk about that. And it's an honor for me to have on the Intentional Encourager podcast. You can go to Twitter and follow him at, at Mackey, M-A-C-K-E-Y, speaks, at Mackey Speaks on Twitter, but you can find him right here. Right now on the Intentional Encourage podcast, Stephen Mackey. Stephen, how you doing, my friend? I'm great, boss man. How are you? I, I, another day uh, rocking my Cincinnati Bengals uh, jacket. I, I was I was talking to somebody a little while ago, and they said, "Man, I, I figured you'd be more dressed up because we were on a video call." And I said, "Right now, man, this is the, this is the uh, attire of champions." So even though it felt just a tad <laughs> short of winning the Super Bowl. This is still the attire of champions. Anytime you can rock Bengals gear, so hey, let's let's start there and talk about. I want to start with with sports because again, I have a 21 year old son. We we connected through sports as as he was growing up playing sports and watching sports together. And something you've got in your Twitter bio that's really cool, and I mentioned it just a minute ago, helping people connect the dots between sports and life. You're sitting down with your kids. You're a parent of kids. What's the connective tissue for you between sports and life with them as you connect with them and, and involved in their life in ways that you're involved in their life? Great question, Brian. So, you know, as I think about what it means to connect the dots between sports and life, I, I really, I take it back to the influence and the impact that my coaches had on my life. And, and as I think about what it was that I learned from high school athletics and from college athletics, what, what was it that lasted longer than knowing how to tackle somebody or knowing how to lift heavy weights? What were the long shelf life skill sets that didn't expire when I stopped playing the game? Yeah. There were those things like toughness, like the importance of integrity, of giving and keeping your word to your teammate, the power of being an over-believer in yourself and in others, the importance of excellence in everything that you do, giving a relentless effort, service before self. Those ideas, not only did I learn in athletics, they came alive for me through the game of sports and they lasted long after I stopped playing. And so as I went from being one who was given and taught this to then being in a position where I got to work with young people. I just asked the question, why are they not getting? Because I saw these young men, and granted, they were boneheads, all right? Like most high school guys, they were boneheads. But they were so talented on the football field yeah. that you could give them a phenomenally high goal, and they would find a way to reach it. 
But the moment they walked into Algebra 2, it was like they became a completely different person. They forgot how to work. They forgot discipline. They forgot the importance of excellence. It was like they were living in two different worlds. And I said, fellas, if you just took what you did in the field and applied it to the classroom or to the hallway or to the way that you act at the house, if you just did the same thing there, fellas, you'd be unstoppable. And that started a seven-year journey of volunteering with the local community uh, where I lived and working with the local football team and helping those athletes and coaches connect the dots between sports and life. And then you, know, you fast forward to January 12, 2017, uh, a buddy of mine named James says, Mackie, I think you can make a living doing this. And Brian, I looked at him and I said, James, I give seven minute talks before football games. You can't make a living doing that. And he gave me the best piece of advice. He said, Mac, don't start with no. Yes. If you knew it would work, what would you do? Because you see, there's this powerful truth it's called the expectancy theory. Basically, it says this, where you focus, you finish. If you start with no, you'll find all the reasons why you can't do something. But if you start with yes, you'll find all the reasons that you can't. And so um, that day made a choice. I'm a go big or go big kind of guy. And so I went to my wife, who's awesome, and she and said, babe, I got this idea. What do you think? She said, I think you can do it. I said, great, because I just quit my job, so we're all in. And so here we, <laughs> yeah. here we go. And, uh, and that was January of 2017. And now as we sit in, as we're recording, uh, heading into May of 2022, uh, we now serve over 40%, almost 50% of the schools in the state of Texas. We're named the official character development curriculum of the Texas High School Coaches Association. We serve over half a million coaches and athletes every single week with our curriculum. It's been an unbelievable ride, but it all stemmed from first receiving yeah. and then giving this, this simple idea that everything you need to know to be successful in the game of life, you can learn through the game of sports. Well, and that's amazing too, because there's a couple of things that I want to extrapolate out of what you just said. The first thing that caught me was, and I was taking some notes, Stephen, was the fact of, being an overbeliever, okay, and and so again, you know, and I, and I told my son this: never step on the court, never step. He went to a Christian school, so we didn't play football, but the same analogy would apply to football. You don't want a guy under center that doesn't believe he can make every throw. You don't want a sure. guy under center that can't that doesn't believe that he can lead his team to victory. You just, you would rather, you need somebody else that has incredible belief in himself first and then the 10 other guys around him. We're talking football. And, and I, I, what you said there about overbelieving in, in, in coaching kids, it reminded me, I was talking to a coach friend of mine that worked with a program here in our area. We had a, we had a program here in our area called Huntington Prep. Andrew Wiggins came through Huntington Prep, a young man named Miles Bridges. Uh, several NBA kids that went on to, to play in the NBA came through Huntington Prep. It's about 20 minutes from here. And one of the coaches that coached at Huntington Prep coached at, at our Christian school, and, and he was telling the story one time. He said an NBA player, a current NBA player now that he coached, he said, you've got to coach me different. You've got to, to, to get in my shorts a little bit more. That's how I develop. And it struck me as you were talking about the kids in the classroom not having the same work ethic as if you rolled the balls out and said, okay, guys, we're going to go hard for two hours, have a two-hour basketball practice. And they're all in. They're flying up and down the court. They're dunking. They're, they're, they're getting back on defense. You know, they're, they're doing all that stuff. For you, how do you get that kid to, to give that effort in something they may not be interested in because and forgive me for the long-winded question but it strikes me as game time versus practice getting a game with people around you and, and fans in the stands and everybody cheering your name okay a 360 dunk is coming out right or you know if they get a chance between this same guy I watched him one time play in our high school and it was just him in the bucket man he about tore the but he about tore the bucket off on a dunk and so how do you, how do you cor correlate 
the game time experience on the court or on the field to the game time experience in the classroom? Sure. So, you know, one of the pillars that we teach in two words and one of the pillars that we talk about uh, in, in the book, The Locker Room, this pillar called excellence everywhere. And it's this sense that I'm going to give the best of me to whatever is in front of me, that the circumstance around me doesn't dictate the effort that comes out of me. Rather, my character, the, the standards that I've set for myself, that my team has set, that I have committed to be a part of, now by my integrity, that brings integrity to it, that I'm going to bring the best of me to whatever is in front of me. And in some ways, it's a mindset shift. It's this, it's this acknowledgement that it does no good to be five-star on the court, but no star in the classroom because you're not dependable. Now you become a liability um, because you are failing to get a rep at excellence, that the, the rep of excellence, of giving the best of you to what's in front of you is cumulative. And while you may only be able to get so many reps on the court or the field, there are countless places that you can get excellence reps in other places. And those reps, even though they may be disconnected in the discipline uh, or the subject, um, those, those reps of excellence continue to add up. That as you learn how to learn in algebra, uh, you are learning the skill of learning which you have to do to be able to learn new game plans and, and things like this. And so in, in some ways it's helping young people to open up their mind and see that what they're doing is never really just about what they're doing, that there is an immediate reward, potentially an immediate consequence, yeah. but there's also a future reward and a future consequence because life and reps and things are cumulative. Um, and so one of the very practical ways that, you can begin to develop this on your team or with your kids is to, is to understand that competition fuels growth, uh, that kids are very naturally competitive. And it's one of the reasons that we chose to do the work that we do within the locker room, because they're intrinsically motivated to be, um, to give their best in athletics. And one of the reasons we chose to write the book, the locker room and to locate it in sports because sports transcends all boundaries. Yeah. But you, you bring competition into it and you compete and you measure and you reward the things that you want to be true. And so uh, of your, of your athletes or of your, your kids. And so you know, it's been said many times, like which gets measured gets improved. Yeah. Well, if you want, if you want your athletes to be excellent in the classroom, then you've got to reward excellence in the classroom the same way that you would reward excellence on the field, that it can't be a lower tiered reward, but instead of say, no, these things are all on the same plane. And that's, that's what we try to do as we help develop this ethos. It's make things on the same plane. And so let's begin to reward classroom work. Let's begin to reward and check in, uh, whether you have competition teams within an off season program uh, or uh, as a parent, right? The language that you use, the body language that you have, um, whatever, uh, you know, deals that you make with your kids, uh, you know, reward the things that you want to see grow and, and measure those things. And that, that's what will grow. Uh, but to, to bring it back to maybe where the question started with why belief matters so much and being an overbeliever, um, I, I would say two things. Um, one, I would say that in working with young people, and with older people, let's be yep. honest, uh, I've seen again and again this, this proclivity to overbelieve in what's not possible and underbelieve in what is. Um, and and so we, we tend to have this overbelief in I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy, uh, I'm a piece of this, that, or the other whenever I fall short. Yeah. Um, and, and what it causes us to do because we believe less in ourselves, um, uh, and more in our doubts, um, uh, it actually, it makes us weak. <laughs> it, it keeps us from being tough. Um, one of the pillars I mentioned was that tough people win. Being tough doesn't mean you're the biggest, baddest dude that's ever walked into a room. 
it, the way that we talk about toughness is that I realize my value and my worth. I realize how valuable and worth the work my team is. Mm -hmm. And so no matter what comes my way, I'm tough enough to keep working. That's why tough people win. They know the value of it. And so they're willing to put the work in. Well, when adversity, over... let me jump in there, Stephen. Be, I love what you said there because when I think of tough people, I think of myself, adversity is not a weakness to them. Adversity is something that they can use to to make everything around them better because you can't put them in a lower place than they've already come from. And you can't right. get, here's, yeah. here's go the, ahead, go ahead, go, go, go with that. Yes, yeah. please. Yeah. And so, and so here's, so here's what happens, right? When that, when that toughness is developed, um, it leads to a sense of I'm worth it. And you begin to believe that. And then the reason growth follows belief is because when you believe you're worth it, you begin to act differently, right? And then those actions change. And so when adversity comes, rather than looking at something that's happening to you, it's something that's happening for you. And because you believe that it changes your actions you see these things are all connected so the action changes based on the belief so why do we need to be over believers in ourselves and over believers in our team because when we believe in ourselves and we believe in our team it changes what we do the moment that i think waking up at four in the morning is worth it then guess what i'm gonna wake up at 355 to beat my alarm clock but if I think that waking up at four in the morning is not going to do me any good, I'm just going to waste the hours. Guess what? I got a nice bed, the Tempur-Pedic with a little head tilt, yeah. pick up the pressure off the lower back, got the teddy bear. I'm not getting out of bed. If I don't believe it's what you see, your actions, right? Well, they're the evidence of your belief. So that's why it's so important that we encourage and equip young people to believe in themselves. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton here. The new year is upon us and you may be sitting there thinking, hey, I would really love to pay off some debt or I would like to save for that dream vacation. Maybe you want to buy a new car, whatever it is you want to do financially in the coming year. Let me give you a great piece of intentional encouragement and something to think about that might help you do it. Products for profit. Now this is a course taught by my good friend, Joe Hart, who's been a guest on the Intentional Encourager podcast and has told his story how reselling changed his life. And you know what, folks, it could do the same thing for you too. It's really simple. Reselling is basically buying a product and then reselling it online for more money. And Joe is going to take you through the steps and show you how to do this either part-time or maybe as some of his students have done, take this full-time as well. Go to coachjoe89.gumroad.com backslash L backslash premium PFP. And oh, by the way, this group is going to help you find leads of products that are profitable right now, give you all kinds of great intentional encouragement, and you're going to be surrounded by a community of people that are going to want to see you be successful in the reselling game. Again, go to coachjoe89.gumroad.com backslash L backslash premium PFP and tell him you heard about it on the Intentional Encourager podcast. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. No, I love that. And, and something you said there in, in, in that last couple of minutes that struck me, and I want to get your take on this. When we're talking about athletes, young young athletes in high school, there are a lot of kids that are working for, and I don't care if they're playing football, basketball, baseball, track, soccer. We, we've conditioned a lot of those young athletes to go, okay, well, let's get you to the next level. Let's get you to college and things like that. And so you'll see a lot of young people on their social media, when they get an offer from a school, they'll say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to have an offer, things like that. Or they'll announce when they commit to a school, things like that. And we've all seen it. We, you know, some of the, the, the real premium five-star athletes will have, they'll have big parties and they'll put the hats on the table and, and, and it's a production. It feels like to me, Stephen, we have taken the word commitment and we've, we've equivalent, we've made it the equivalent of a reward to your point, you know, I'm committing to this school and that's my reward. All this stuff that happens around that commitment to this school is my reward for busting my tail 
and being the big dog and things like that. I feel like with young people, though, I don't know that they truly understand commitment in a, in a way that they need to. And this is just my opinion. I want to get your take on this. Because now in college athletics, we've got the transfer portal. So if it doesn't work out at the school you committed to, it's okay because you can move on and you can commit somewhere else. And if it doesn't work at that other school, then you can you can you can decommit and recommit and decommit and recommit. It feels like the word commitment has kind of lost its teeth a little bit. Am I missing something there? Can help me understand where commitment really is today among young people as you see it. There's quite a bit there in that. And I think the first thing that I would say is I I have a very high view of this generation. I am all in on them because I spend time with them and I listen to them. I interview two dozen student athletes from all different walks of life every 10 weeks. And I listen to them and they are, they are much smarter. They are much harder working and much more committed uh, than we want to give them credit for. Uh, and so any chance that I get to elevate the, the, the uh, value worth, the work ethic of this, I'm gonna I'm gonna lift them up because yeah. I really really believe in them, uh, and and I've seen it firsthand. Uh, that said, like all young people in every generation, they they have a lot that they can learn, uh, and just like uh, every older generation, you know, we have a lot that we can learn from from this generation too. So I'm really high on on young people today. That said, what I would say about uh, commitment is that it's always important that we elevate the understanding of a commitment and that we elevate what that word means and the actions that it draws out. Um, as it as it gets to the, the signing day things and all of that, I, I say go for it. Let them celebrate. Let them be proud because to, to get to that place, it takes a lot. So you know what? Let them be proud. But I think the gift that, that adults can give as we come on the backside of that is to is to encourage them that that's not the end. Just like you would encourage a young married couple, hey, the honeymoon is great, but that's just the beginning. Right. The signing day is great. It's also just the beginning. And that and that as parents or as coaches, that we're having conversations about the commitment and the work that follows. The, and and having it as a conversation is this is the reward of the signing day the reward of the signing day is the commitment and the work that follows um you know and then as it comes to the transfer porter portal and all of this somebody in a higher pay grade is going to have to to solve that problem and and work through that yeah uh, I'm, I'm down here in texas i don't i don't know that uh that that's above my pay grade uh, well, but i will say that yeah. i will say this though that there is with anything there are pros and there are cons and there are things that um, something like the transfer portal, there are, there are real issues that that solves and there no are question. real issues that yeah. that, that, that causes. Uh, and so I, I think that it's easy to, it's easy to beat up, beat up on kids and with a broad stroke say, see, look, college athletes today don't have the commitment. They don't have the work ethic. They don't have the X, Y, Z. Uh, it's real easy to print that broad stroke because there are no doubt there, there are guys and, and gals that are taking advantage of that in a way that doesn't help the program, doesn't help them, doesn't help their future. They're, they're just playing the game and they're taking their toys and going home. Yeah. Uh, a lot of them because their parents taught them to do that. Um, so let's remember the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. That's right. Uh, but there are, That's other, right. there are other situations in which it's genuinely better for the kid for whatever reason. Coaching staff changed, um, you know, any, any number of things that came out uh, that put that put that kid in a, in a better position to transfer. And so, uh, you know, I think that when it comes to transfer portal and that conversation, it, it's got to be much more nuanced than kids these days don't know what a commitment means. Yeah. Well, and, and again, too, we, we, we push toward, and, and again, I, I, I'm, I'm with you when we talk about the reward of hard work. Absolutely. And, and I believe this. The commitment, to your point, 
that is only the beginning if if you are one that wants to get to that next level because let's say and i'm going to use this for an example you commit to the university of alabama to play football when you show up in tuscaloosa coach saban and that coaching staff is going to make sure you're 100 percent committed to football because if you're not on day one it's going to be a hard road to hoe that first day because they're going to try to get everything out of you that they can't. And, and I'm, I say Coach Saban because he's a native West Virginian. He's, he's from West Virginia. And I heard him say something, Stephen. I want to get you, your take on this. And, and forgive me for going in a little bit different direction. But I love where you're taking this conversation. And I heard Coach Saban say this as it, and he was talking about schools recruiting a young man. And he said, look, they're going to tell you you're going to play right away. Right? They're going to tell you that that man, you're, you're going to come in here and you're going to make an impact. You're going to play right away. He said, I'm not going to tell you that. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Every day that you come to the University of Alabama, as you continue to move up the depth chart, you're going to go one-on-one -on -one every day in practice against a guy that's probably going to play in the NFL. If you're a defensive lineman, you're going to go up against offensive tackles that you will not play better competition on Saturday than you'll play Monday through Friday in practice. The best competition that you'll have is right here. And and for some kids, they they love that. For some kids, that's what exactly what they want. For some kids, though, they want to go right away and start. And so it, there's no right or wrong answer to me on that. I would say this, as you work with young people today, what's the number one thing that you hear them say? Hey, Stephen, this is important to me. Is there a universal answer that you get more often than not? If you pose that question, what's what's most important to you? Well, this is, I actually ask a very similar question of athletes when I meet with them again and again. And the most challenging and surprising answer was, I don't need you to put more pressure on me. I need you to put, I need you to give me more coaching and encouragement. Wow. That you, that you as adults, You'll never get, you'll never put more pressure on me than I put on myself. So, I don't, so adding pressure isn't going to make it better. What I need you to do is to coach me up, to help me do the thing that I want to do more than you want me to do. And I need you to encourage me along the way. Uh, this sense that the pressure that young people are facing now, and it comes from so many different places, right? Social media, there's a lot of great to it. There's a lot of ways that young people use social media that completely make no sense to me as a 36, 37 year old man. Um, but for all of the good it brings, it also brings a lot of comparison and it brings a lot of pressure to always be on or to be building a brand as a 14 year old. Um, and you're like, you, bro, you're still like struggling to get deodorant on you're over here trying to build a brand. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, you know, there's pressure there. There's pressure in the class ranking. There's pressure in in the grades. And there's pressure in athletics. And then there's pressure from mom and dad, um, whether that's because mom and dad, because they love and support and want the best for you, they give you the best coaches and they put you in select and they buy you the best equipment and all of those things that they do to support. And they encourage you, they talk to you about sports and it becomes the thing y'all connect over and you're always talking about it and you're traveling across the state for tournaments and all of this. Well, that leads to a pressure that if you're not very intentional, doesn't give a kid space to be something other than that athlete, yeah. to be more than that athlete, right? So there's pressure there. Uh, there's pressure from their coaches, but most of all, there's pressure for themselves. And so for them to say, look, I don't need more pressure. I'm stressed. I'm anxious. I am overwhelmed. I'm so busy doing so much that I don't have time to rest. And oh, by the way, if I did have time to rest, then not only do I not know how to do it, but I'm afraid that if I did, somebody somewhere is not, and they're getting ahead of me. Yeah. So the thing that I need more is coaching. I need to be equipped. And I need encouragement. Let me tell you this. I, I will I will go to bat and I will go to fight for a kid. There are only three things that a parent needs to say to their kid after a game. Three things. There's not four. There's not five. There's not three things. I love you. I'm proud of you. And I love to watch you play. 
nothing else. Anything that is beyond that does not matter. As a parent, I don't care how talented you are. I don't care how much better of a coach you think you are than the coach on the court. The only thing you need, I love you, I'm proud of you, and I love to watch you play. Yeah. I told and my then, and, yeah. Go ahead. And and from there, when you want to have conversations, listen, here's some questions you can ask that will help spur conversation about sport, but doesn't come from a place of judgment, meaning there's not adding to the pressure of performance. Here's a great question. Um, Frankly, Ridgely shared these with me. She's a, a professional counselor and, and she's phenomenal. And she said, here's a, here's a great question. What surprised you about this game? What's something with all of the preparation you had going into it, all of it, what's something that surprised you about this game? It could be surprised you about how well you played. Maybe it surprised you about how well you didn't play, about what the opponent did uh, on strategy. Um, about a way that a teammate played and pushed through. What surprised you about this game? The point here is not that you're you're not fishing for them to say something so that you can then coach them up. That's not your job. I love you. I'm proud of you. I love to watch you play. So what's something that surprised you? Um, what's something uh, that you learned this week that you want to do differently next week? Right? Again, this is not the place for you to give your scouting report on your kid that's not your job that's your coach's job all right um so that's a great what surprised you uh, what's something that you learned this week that you want to do differently for next week and here's a really important one because i don't know that kids know how to do this because they don't get very much practice what's something that you're proud of this week something that you did that you're proud of and then celebrate them for that. Elevate and celebrate. Uh, because, again, our kids don't need more pressure. Yeah. They need more equipping and more encouraging. There's a couple things that I want to pull out, out of that. And I'm, I'm trying to get to your book. I, I really am because I want to mention that. And I want to get to your story. But, man, this is such good conversation because there's a couple things there. I always told my son, I said, listen, I don't care how many points a game you score. I don't care what you do on the field. I care that you're a great teammate. I care that, number one, first and foremost, that your teammates respect you and that you have their backs, that you encourage them. when you, If you're on the bench in baseball or if you're on the bench in basketball and they come to the sidelines and the, and the coach is taking them out, you encourage them. You give them a pat on the back. If they're not, if their body language is off, encourage them. Get, get, get them back into, into a good headspace so that you guys can win. That's what I told my, my son first and foremost. And the second thing that you said there that I want to go a little bit deeper on is pressure because I don't think we talk about that enough. And here's where my thought process was there, Stephen. 17 or 18 years ago in this area, we had a young man that came back to this area to finish his last year of high school basketball. His name was O.J. Mayo. A lot of people may have heard of O.J. Mayo. O.J.'s family lived down the street from me when I was a kid. His grandfather would come in the grocery store that I worked at. He's named after his grandfather. There were two guys on that high school team, that Huntington High School basketball team, that went on to play in the NBA. O.J. Mayo was one of them, and a young man named Patrick Patterson was the other. He played at the University of Kentucky, went on to play for the Rockets, the Kings, had a long, successful NBA career. O.J. Mayo did not. And I believe it to be this way. I believe that the pressure on him was so great because he played varsity basketball, Stephen, when he was a seventh grader in Kentucky. In the state of Kentucky, you can play high school varsity basketball as a seventh grader. So that's what he did. He played against older guys. Then he went to North College Hill in Cincinnati and played three years up there with another kid from Huntington named Bill Walker. He went on to play at Kansas State. Played a couple years for the Knicks. But OJ was the was the dude from the time he was a, a fourth or fifth grader. The pressure was on that young man. And with Pat Patterson, the pressure wasn't on him. And he had a long, successful NBA career. 
And so what you're talking about with pressure, man, is it is so good because I don't care if you're a salesperson, a leader, a coach, an entrepreneur, whatever you whatever you do, how you handle pressure in life can either make you or break you. How do you believe that what you're doing, and, and, and forgive me for asking it this way, and forgive me for the long-winded question, but I love where you're taking this. How do you encourage young people through overcoming negative pressure? So here's the way I would, I would think about this, in that first, pressure intrinsically is not positive or negative until we make it. Okay. We control yeah. the effect of pressure. Uh, that the same pressure put on one person to perform well might keep them from doing well. And that same pressure for another person might spur them on to play their best. So, sorry, you, you, you there? I am here. I am here. We, right. we, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll, run, I'll, run that, I'll run that back. So to talk about pressure, I would first think about it like this. There is nothing positive or negative about pressure. That the same person, could, two different people could go through the same pressure and it crush one and catapult the other. The difference is what we do with that pressure. And why we do what we do with our pressure, uh, I would connect to identity. Where do we find, when we go back to tough people win, are they tough because they have, they understand they're worth it. Where do you find your identity? Is it in a, is it a performance-based identity or is it a purpose-based identity? Now, a performance-based identity is going to be one that says my value and my worth is contingent upon my performance. It's contingent on how well I do that the whole of me is wrapped up in being a basketball player or being a football player or as an adult being a salesperson, my title. And anything that threatens my performance actually threatens my identity. And so when I'm there, when the pressure comes, right, all of a sudden this is a fight or flight uh, threatening to my identity, my value, my worth. Um, Michael Phelps um, talked about this quite a bit, um, that he got to a really, really dark place um, towards the end of his career when he's like, if I'm not a swimmer, then who am I? If I'm not yeah. an Olympic gold medalist, who am I? Um, and when our value and worth, and when we, al when we allow our kids to shape and direct the movie of their life, driven by their performance, we do them a great disservice. And again, I, I mentioned this earlier, but it's so important. It, you even brought it up as like, hey, I just told my son, you know, I just want you to be a great teammate. Those are your words, but did your body language and your response to the play match that? Because kids are going to pick up on that. You go to practice and you're what, and, and they're at private lessons and you're on your phone the whole time. When they do something great, they're looking at you whether you see them or not. And there's disappointment when you're not paying attention, when there's not that connection. So we, we can't just say the right words. That's right. That's right. We've got to, we've got to back that up because when, our, when young people, when they have their identity and value and, and worth con contingent and connected to this contingent performance, uh, contingent upon their performance, it leads to a whole host of, of issues. Now, uh, a guy, a researcher named Benjamin Holtberg contrasts performance-based identity with purpose-based identity. And that's when my value and my worth is not contingent on performance, but it's grounded or rooted in my core values, in my faith, uh, in my family, in these things that are secure, they're a firm foundation. Regardless of what happens around, there's this thing that is within um, that is is firm and standing yeah. that's why mom and dad it's so important i love you i'm proud of you i love yeah. to watch you play that you're helping to allow this firm foundation to say regardless of how you play or if you play my love for you doesn't change that's right yeah. and we we say it 
because it's the right thing to say. But I'm telling you right now, boss man, to live that out is really, really hard. It, it is. Watching. It is. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton. Have you ever wanted to live a bucket list life? Or if you're a business owner, have you ever wanted to incentivize your team in unbelievable ways? I have got just the thing for you. You need to contact my friend Brad Norwood with Dream It Pro Professional Events. Brad's been a guest here on the Intentional Encourager podcast, and I can tell you he has helped numerous companies achieve unbelievable things through experience travel. Experiences are what people want. They want to know how they can live incredible bucket list lives as well, too. And Brad can help you with both of those things. I can't give you any better encouragement than to give Brad and his team a call right now at 479-466-6907 or go to www.dreamitpro.com. And when you get there, click on events and you are going to see some unbelievable once-in-a-lifetime experiences. And I promise you this, unlike plaques, awards, trophies, things like that, experiences, and trips like these don't burn up in a fire. Again, go to www.dreamitpro.com today. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Is and, and I'll tell you something else too, and I was thinking about that, and I, and I, I went, and I had a different situation because... My, my son's sophomore year and senior year when he played high school, I was in the dugout. All four years he played high school basketball, I was sitting at the scorer's table. So if I, t to your point, you know, wasn't, wasn't looking up in the stands and seeing where mom and dad are, you know where dad's at. Dad, in my case, I was sitting at the scorer's table. So there was no getting around if, if, if I had displeasure on my face or anything like that. The only thing that I would that that I remember telling my son Stephen was I'm like, look, I'm not your coach. If you got an issue with how you're playing or or lack of playing time, go go tell him, because I'm not your coach. I'm not the one that's making out the lineup in baseball, and I'm not the one that's making out the lineup in basketball. But I would tell you this: assess your own play first before you go to the coach and complain about playing time. You know, because if you're going, if you're not hustling in practice and you're complaining about playing time, that's a you problem, right? That, yeah. that, that That's a you problem. You, you can't, you can't do that. And so, um, man, I, as I was thinking about what you were saying, and that was so beautiful, what you were saying, making sure you're consistent in your actions and your words and they're lining up. And man, I saw so many examples of how not to do it with other parents around us and you know i just went to and i'll share this with you real quick and then i want to pivot to your book but one particular time i remember my son was was before a season the coach came to me he was a new coach and he said hey i know you you've done a lot of work i'd love for you to be around the team this year and things like that and i said here's one thing i'll promise you i know i'm a parent but when i am serving this team I am going to take myself out of that role. I'm going to serve you and this team like any other person would serve this team. And I had to sit down with my son and say, look, do not ask me to go to the coach when I'm serving the team. Do not ask me to go to the coach about your playing time. Well, You're think putting, about, think about yeah. the, we talked, we talked earlier about the long shelf life. Yeah. Skill sets. Go ahead. And what you're equipping them to do there is to say, that when you're when you get a job, you're not going to call me and ask me to call your boss and say that, that you want to raise or you don't like the way things are going. Exactly, you got to you got to have the confidence to go have that uh, have that conversation. It's a simple rep playing time and coaching that cumulatively builds upon other reps, so that one day when it's at work, they've gotten reps at that. But you said you know you have to change your roles. There's four roles that parents play. Right. And, and those are the roles of caregiver, cop, coach, and consultant. And, and the caregiver is real easy to think about when, uh, 
when you have a newborn, when, when you are caring for them, their, their needs, even as in high school, when you're providing their food and their shelter, you're giving care. You know, the cop role is a role when it's like, hey, don't stick the fork in the electric socket. Don't touch the other. Like, hey, I got to set some boundaries for you so that you know this. The coach role is like, hey, I'm teaching you manners, how to shake a hand, what those um, intangibles are that are about our family. I'm coaching you up on how to do those. And then the consultant role is the one that says, hey, I can give you my thoughts, my wisdom, my experience, but ultimately you have to make the decision. And a lot of times the issues that parents and kids have when there's conflict between the relationship is when a parent is trying to be in a role that their kid doesn't need them to be. That when yeah. their kid needs them to be a consultant, but they're trying to be a cop yep. or they're trying to be a caregiver. And it's like, yo, I don't need you to do this for me. I just need you to give me your wisdom and then let me go make my own mistakes. Or what if, I mean, this is a crazy idea. I went out and made my own right choices. I need you to be a caregiver. Yep. Here. I need you to be the cop. And so uh, in sports, uh, it is not uncommon for parents to be playing the wrong role in the stands. Um, and so when we come back to this, there's only three things that you need to say. Um, that's, a, that's in part about being in the right role. Man, I love where I love this conversation because again, you, you, we're, what we're talking about is really knowing, knowing what you, knowing where you have to be for your kids. And knowing where you have to be and, and what you what you can't be, where where you shouldn't be, right? You were talking about cop, and the first thing that I that that came to my mind, there were times, you know, my son will be twenty two in September. There were times when he was in high school playing sports that I had to go to him and say, "Don't step to your mom that way." I know you had a frustrating game, but don't step to your mom that way. You know that you had to, yeah. you had to be the the cop there. Let's talk about the book, the locker room book. I, I would be, I would, would feel like we were missing an opportunity, man. I, I I could talk to you for two hours about just this, but we would miss an opportunity to tell folks about this great book that you and Damon West co-authored together. Take me behind the idea. And what was that aha moment when you were writing this? You guys were putting this together. You go, now that's really what this this book is all about. Sure. Well, I could take you right there. It was July 3rd, 2021. And I was reading, doing some work on my doctorate. And as I was sitting there, I was thinking, man, with all the things that have happened, George Floyd, all the division, all of the injustice and the hate, all the stuff going on. I thought, man, and I've heard coaches say this again and again. If America had a locker room, like we wouldn't have a lot of the issues that we're having today because like the miracle of a locker room is that people from all different backgrounds, all kinds of histories, hurts, hangups, well, they come together for one common goal. They look around and go, our differences, our diversity is not an obstacle to be overcome. It's our strength to overcome obstacles that in a locker room, making a mistake doesn't make you a mistake. You're not canceled out and kicked out because you blew it. But instead, we rally around you and we encourage you and help you and challenge you to learn from that, that you might be better, not just for yourself, but for others. That in a locker room, your success is my success and my success is yours. And we said, dude, if America had a locker room, like we'd be able to, to fight a lot of the issues and overcome a lot of the issues that we're facing. And, and so there I was, January, July 3rd, 2021. And I thought, man, wouldn't it be awesome if somebody wrote a book about this called America Needs a Locker Room? And, and then I said, wouldn't it be awesome if like Damon West was willing to write this book with me? And so at, at the time, he and I at best were Twitter acquaintances. And so I sent him a message, like a scroll or two or three scrolls. He had to get through it. And I didn't know if he was going to respond, but I knew like, hey, man, like you miss every shot you don't take. And so sent him the message. Seven minutes later, he responds, says, call me. Hop on the phone for about 40 minutes. And the next day I drive from the hill country of Texas, west of Austin, all the way down uh, to the coast to Beaumont. And, and we meet at a Starbucks in Beaumont, Texas for about four hours on July 4th. And six weeks later, uh, the locker room was written, how great teams heal hurts, overcome adversity, and build unity was written and submitted to our publisher, Wiley. 
they accepted it in 10 months, almost to the day from the idea. Uh, the book will be on bookshelves, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, uh, independent retailers, and of course, Amazon, all across on May 10th, 2022. And so it was just this lightning uh, few months of, of diving in and going, how can we tell a story that on its surface is about a football team with the biggest moment of their season face their biggest adversity, but at its heart is a story about what happens when people take their eyes off their core values. And then when you start living and acting outside your core values, adversity and conflict and hurt follow. And how can we help people not only overcome those adversities in teams or families, but how can we have the conversation such that would help our country overcome some adversity and conflict and hurt? And, and the result of all of that um, was the locker room. And so it's a short teaching story um, that, that works towards that aim. What, how different do you, do you believe the last, let me go here real quick with you, Stephen. You, you said a lot of things that are very powerful. What if America functioned like a locker room? And here's the thing that I thought about. There's two things that I thought about, and, and they're probably no brainers to you, but somebody that may be listening, it might be, might be different for them. The first thing I thought about was the common cause, the common goal of the front of the uniform. In a locker room, everybody's got the same jersey. The back of the jersey's different, but, but they're wearing the same jersey, helmet, pads, pants, socks, maybe wearing different shoes but their, their uniform is the same. The coaches, everybody's on the same sideline. Everybody's together. I heard, I heard uh, Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow say this. He said, man, they, they asked him this year, they said, what was the key to your guys' success? He said, man, he said, this locker room is tight. He said, I can have lunch with any guy in this locker room. And I thought, man, that's it. When you can go have lunch, you're the quarterback, but you can go have lunch with the long snapper. You're the quarterback, but you can go and, and have lunch with the backup defensive back. Man, that's it right there. So that's the first thing that struck me when you said that. The second thing that struck me is everybody in that locker room it has coming together for one purpose, to win. If I got to do something tonight or you got to do something tonight, we're all better when we all come together. That's why the coach puts a game plan on the board. It's not the game plan for the quarterback. It's not the game plan for the point guard. Everybody's got to execute that game plan if we're going to be successful. If you're on offense, you better not be running routes that, that your quarterback doesn't know what you're running. I mean, you, you better not be doing your own thing. The game plan works for everybody, and so that's so brilliant. I got to ask you this, though. I'd, I'd miss it if I didn't ask you this. If you could go back to when you were playing high school sports, how would you, as an 18-year-old, how would you have read the locker room, and what impact do you think it would have had on you as a, as a high school or a college athlete at that age? You know, I think the one of the powerful – parts of the book because it's it's a teaching story but it, it offers a prescriptive uh, solution that there's very clearly things that you can use to go and apply to your own locker room whether that's in a small business or a large family in a team in a church wherever the case may be uh, but i think one of the things that would have stood out to me the most is that there's a point in the book uh, where we lay out a game plan for how you can have conversation with people who think and act and have different experiences than you. Um, how you can listen more than you talk, right? You have two ears and one mouth for a reason. And so we, we lay out some ways um, as, a, as a group, what it could look like to walk through a conversation and, and, and to hear different perspectives. And I think that if I could go back 
that would have been something that would have been really intriguing to me because oftentimes we don't give our young people opportunities enough to be experts on themselves that we think great teaching is brainwashing that if we can just drill into them the right answers enough then they will have learned it um, and we don't give them a chance to have agency or a chance to have a different opinion and yet still get to be completely a part of the program and so i think that would have been the thing that that would have really stood out to me and it's one of the pieces i'm most proud of about the book is is the importance of listening because I, was, I sat down with a coach not long ago and she had a radically different belief system than i did and most of my life i had been taught that here's the way that you think about people who believe like this and i was drilled with the right answers and the right rebuttals and here's how you catch them in a corner and here's the way that you prove that you are right I think that one of the reasons that many that America doesn't have a locker room, one of the reasons America needs a locker room, is because we have been convinced that being right is more important. Proving that you're right is more important than anything else. And so when I went into this conversation, I'd been taught, brainwashed uh, with all these right answers, how to prove I'm right. But when I went into this conversation and I listened more than I talked, I begin to hear her story. I begin to hear how she got where she was, why she thought what she thought. And what was amazing when I shut my mouth enough to listen was that my desire to be right was washed away by empathy. It was washed away by the fact that, wait a minute, this person is not the villain I was told that she was, that this person has the same goal as me. She's fighting for kids. We're on the same team. And wait a minute, the experiences that she's had, I've never had that. And if I would shut up enough and listen, I could learn from her experience that I could serve kids better. And it was amazing what happened when empathy replaced, took the priority over being right it didn't matter if my opinion got changed because I respected her more. I was able to believe in her more. So I was able to serve her better and ultimately I'd be able to reach our goal better. Um, and so I, that's how I'd answer that question. Man, that is so good. Um, listen, there is so many more ways we could go. That's a beautiful place to jump off because again, Man, you just so you so eloquently nailed that, Stephen, in in the fact of if we just would have a little more empathy instead of saying, "Man, I got to be right." Man, what what a brilliant way that that is some great intentional encouragement right there, my man. Tell folks how they can get the book. It comes out May the tenth, so this episode will release real close to the books to the books coming out. So tell folks how they can get in touch with you. I teased it at the top, your Twitter profile, which is Mac, at Mackie Speaks. But, but tell folks how they can get in touch with you, how they can get the Locker sure. Room book. Um, just take sure. a moment and let folks know how they can get you. You got it. So you can get the Locker Room, uh, how great teams heal hurt, overcome adversity, and build unity. Uh, anywhere books are sold. Uh, you can obviously get it on Amazon. Just type in the locker room, Stephen Mackey or Damon West. Um, you can also get it on Barnes and Noble. If you really want to help us out, it's actually super helpful if you buy it from Barnes and Noble instead of just Amazon, but neither here nor there. We're going to take it wherever you can get it. Um, you can find all of those links to Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million um, at thelockerroombook.com. So that's a real easy way to find out everything about the book, thelockerroombook.com. Uh, you can connect with me uh, on Twitter or on my website at Mackie Speaks or MackieSpeaks.com. Don't do Facebook or kind of any of the meta things, LinkedIn, any of that. Let all of that go in my life. That's so much more simple. Uh, so I'm only on Twitter and uh, at Mackie Speaks. And those are the best ways to get a hold. Book releases May 10th and, uh, and would love and encourage you to get a copy for you and get a copy for a friend and walk through it, read through it together. It's a short read. 
128 pages. Even if you're, even if you're a slow reader, you can knock this out in 60 minutes. And each chapter is meant to be able to walk through process, digest, and do it with somebody. And then you start to make a locker room for yourself and your family, your team, whatever the case may be. And again, go to MackeySpeaks.com. Maybe you're a leader out there that that wants him to come and 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 teach the locker room principle to your team as well, too. I'm sure that that he would love to do that. Stephen Mackey, no what what a fantastic conversation. I really appreciate the insight. You took us in a lot of great places. I, I'm grateful for that. Thank you for joining me today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. You bet. Appreciate you, boss. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means. And of course, the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. If you're not subscribed to the Intentional Encourager podcast, hit the subscribe button wherever you get podcasts so you don't miss an exciting episode where you can get encouraged and stay encouraged. And remember, anyone, anywhere, at any time, any place can be an intentional encourager.